0: Hello and welcome back to Here's the Deal. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and I believe you are in for our best episode yet, and that is hard to top last week's chat with Natalie Newhart. Today I am talking with Dr. Jade Tita. You may already know him. I know I personally have learned a ton from him. He is a naturopathic doctor specializing in integrative endocrinology, so that is the study of hormones and metabolism. So you are in for a lesson in metabolism today. We talk so much about how your metabolism works, how you can interpret what it's saying to you and then take action when you hit a plateau on your weight loss journey. So we first start talking about the four jobs that we have as humans. This is a concept that Jade has developed. And those concepts are briefly to earn a living, to care for our bodies with our health and fitness. To cultivate personal relationships and to develop ourselves as persons. Now then we move into the good stuff, the metabolism. So Jade explains exactly what does a healthy and optimized metabolism look like? How does it run? And then how can we interpret the signals that it is sending to us? Again, if you are already familiar with Jade, you are familiar with the acronym SHMEC and he talks about how we can analyze our SHMEC to know the next step, to to see what we need to do next, to make sure that we are indeed optimizing our performance, our metabolism. And then finally, he explains to us the four toggles that we have, eat less, exercise more, eat more, exercise more, eat less, exercise more, eat more, exercise less. And of course, for a deep dive, tune into the full episode. And then he just explains, you know, our metabolism, it's not just a calculator. It's interpreting all the signals that we are sending it and responding accordingly. And then we finally end up the episode with a brief discussion on intuitive eating and his take on the subject. As I mentioned, you are in for a treat. You are bound to learn something in this episode. I've already listened to it three times and I hope that you do the same. Enjoy. Welcome back to Here is the Deal, everyone. You and I are both in for a treat today because we have Dr. Jade Tito with us, and we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is the metabolism. There is a lot of bad information out there regarding metabolism. I think recently you said on one of your podcasts, Jade, everyone's operating like with old information. So I thought we could clear the air, set the record straight um, and just dive into that. So first of all, thank you for being here today.
1: Uh, Well, thanks for having me. It's sweet that you and I get to hang out for once. I've been following you for a while. Love your work and glad to see you face to face and glad to be here.
0: Thank you so much. So before um, we dive into the metabolism, like I know what an expert you are. But why should these people listen to you? Tell me a little bit about your background.
1: I don't know that they should be listening to <laughs> Well, they should be. <laughs>
0: they need to listen.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny you say that, because I'm always just like, I sometimes think to myself, like, how did I get to this place where people care what I have to say? It's crazy, right? But
0: yeah.
1: I mean, no, I mean, I've been doing this a very long time. I started personal training, believe it or not, at 15 years old. So that has been sort of in my blood. I have a biochem background in undergrad. I went to uh, when I went to look to go to medical school, um, I kind of ran into a personal crisis at that point in time, because I'd already been doing a ton of nutrition and a ton of fitness. And there's nothing wrong with conventional medicine, but I didn't want to do just drugs and surgery. For some reason, at that time, I thought They trained people in exercise and nutrition. Well, come to find out they did not, which sent me sort of on a path to find something different. So this would be back in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And at that time, alternative complementary uh, functional medicine was not even a thing. And everyone discouraged me from going the direction that I went to. We had no idea it was going to be such a popular field. But I went into the field of naturopathic medicine, which is essentially, for those you don't know, it's a primary Care physician who specializes in lifestyle medicine. So, um, and then I came out and started, uh, you know, doing lots of teaching, lots of clinic work. And so I've got a lot of time in the functional medicine world. And so when you think about me and who I am, think, you know, a part personal trainer mixed with part science nerd mixed with part natural medicine geek. And there's a little bit of philosopher and a little bit of, uh, hip hop in there as well in terms of who I am. But I mean, for your for um, most people that you'll find it's funny for those who are watching us. I mean, obviously, to look at me, you'd never guess that part of where I became um, really well versed was in the realm of female metabolism and female endocrinology. And it was simply a matter of at the time I was doing this work, there weren't a lot of people talking about it. I was working with mainly women, um, between the ages of 35 to I would say 65, and there weren't a lot of solutions, they were not responding the same uh, as my male clients were, and it kind of sent me down a path, uh, admittedly kicking and screaming, and my arrogant, ignorant, younger male self did not quite understand what I was getting into, um, but it has served me really well because I, I was conscientious, if nothing else, And it made me want to learn everything I could to help uh, my female clients. And so funnily enough, I do all these things, but my big area of expertise is in female metabolism specifically. So hopefully that gives people sort of an understanding of where I'm coming. And the irony is not lost on me that I look like this big burly linebacker guy. And um, I always laugh at this and I'm an expert in female metabolism. So yeah, it well, gives you a sense.
0: Absolutely. and You can't judge a book by its cover because <laughs> the other thing that I really appreciate you is the philosophical side, the personal development side. Like I'm a huge personal development nerd. Um, and I see myself like as I evolve and get older and, you know, that's kind of where I want to go. So I just appreciate everything that you have when you talk about like the four jobs that we have as people. Can you talk about that real quick before we dive into metabolism? What are our four jobs and how did you come up with that? It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. It, it was, it's really, I am a self-development nerd and I read a philosophy constantly. So when most people are, I do read the, the current self-development books that are out, but I more like to go back to the old philosophers, people like Kant, the Stoics, Taoism, um, William James, all of these types And when you start to synthesize all this information, you start realizing there's nothing truly new, you know, in terms of what we know, people have been talking about this stuff for a long time, but the way we talk about it changes as we uh, sort of evolve as uh, humans. And currently, we're in a time and place where we are just inundated with all kinds of information. And so from my perspective, people are like, where do I focus? What do I do? Like, I I don't know. I'm so confused. And for me, I really think it comes down to four jobs that every human must do. And and ironically, none of these jobs are taught in school and none of them are really um, no one's doing a great job uh, in sort of saying these are where you need to focus. And here are the tools and tips and tricks that you need to get better at these. And so they are um, earn a living. Right. So regardless, we all have to earn, save, manage money. Even someone out on the street has to earn a living. They have to procure food. They have to find shelter. So we all must earn a living. So money is a part of what we do because that's how we earn a living. So finance, that's that first job. Second job is attaining and maintaining health and fitness, which is where you and I have spent a large part of our education when we teach people focusing on. And if we're going to have any sense of a good quality life, we need our health and we need our fitness. So that's job number two. The next one is personal relationships, right? So this does, yes, include romance, but it also includes family dynamics, peers and colleagues and all of now all the people we interact with on social media. So personal relationships. And then of course, personal development, which is really about how do we feel that we matter as humans and how do we make a difference? And so these are to me, the four areas that all of us must really focus on. So think of it like, you know, a four-legged stool. And we all know what that's like when you're on a stool that has sort of these unbalanced legs and you're kind of wobbling back and forth and none are quite down on the ground. So we're all, some of us are better at these than others. But when you go through this and sort of say, "Where where am I on finance? Where am I on health and fitness? Where am I on personal relationships? And where am I on personal development? Which would be purpose and meaning. You can kind of say, well, So for me, for example, I'm doing pretty well on finance, I'm doing pretty well on purpose and meaning, where I tend to struggle, believe it or not, is health and fitness, even though I teach this right I had, I suffer from pre diabetes, I got, you know, um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's interesting because I spend my life teaching this but I struggle there. And so if I had to rank these, I would say finance and purpose and meaning are like a 10, right? Uh, Health is like a five and a half, maybe. And personal relationships are pretty good. They're like a seven. So that guides me in terms of kind of thinking, where should I be spending my time? And I think this simple way of looking at life helps us go, okay, let me focus and get very clear on what I should be paying attention to and spending most of my time doing.
0: Absolutely. And I think also, like, when you work on one area, what you learn there helps you to develop the other area where you may be lacking. And so if you're feeling off, like, take a look. What are you doing well? How can I apply what I'm doing here into this other area, maybe?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we have, we have sort of success blueprints that we humans develop in certain areas that we don't always think are applicable in other areas. So we're all aware of someone who's very good in career and, um, you know, but maybe falling in health and fitness. Well, the same things that help them get good in their career will be uh, able to be applied in health and fitness if they see that. Um, So they just don't always recognize that. So we all have our success sort of blueprints that we can use to address these four jobs. And ironically, what's really interesting for me is when you think about the four jobs, they're also the four things. So any of you internet entrepreneurs who are listening to this, they're also the four things that everyone spends their money on online, aren't they? It's like health and fitness, finance, you know, falling in love and purpose and meaning self-development. So they really are the things we also spend our money on too.
0: Good point. I had never thought of it like that, but I know that's where I'm spending my money.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: all right so let's dive into metabolism what would you consider a healthy metabolism what makes the metabolism healthy optimized what's that look like
1: yeah well it's it's really interesting right because the metabolism is speaking to us all the time the only problem is it doesn't speak english or spanish or french it speaks metabolism and so you need to understand how the the language of metabolism to know if it's optimized or not so from my perspective it's a very simple concept so we can talk about and I did for a long time talk about all this complex stuff like leptin and ghrelin and GIP and GLP and insulin and cortisol and estrogen and progesterone and all these hormones that sort of help the metabolism do its job but all of these things are impacting either directly or indirectly certain sensations that we feel as humans so um, whether we sleep soundly and for long periods of time um, how hungry we feel, how quickly we fill up for meals and how long we stay full between meals. So hunger cravings, right? What kind of foods are we craving? How often are we craving energy? Is it unpredictable and unstable? Our digestion, our immune system, how likely are we to get sick or not exercise performance and exercise recovery? Performance is a big one with exercise with, uh, you know, sort of, um, in the boardroom, work-related, brain performance, and in the bedroom in terms of libido and um, sexual function and things like that. And also signs and symptoms. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis or you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis like me or any kind of condition, whether that's getting better or worse is also telling you how well your metabolism is optimizing. So I call all these things biofeedback sensations. And so all of these things are the way the metabolism speaks to us. So to answer your question, an optimized metabolism will have these things uh, in check, so to speak. So I have a funny acronym I I use that everyone is aware of when they listen to me talk. But um, when you hear it, you'll never forget it. Sleep, hunger, mood, energy cravings, SHMEC, or SHMEC. When your SHMEC is in check, you have a healthy, optimized metabolism Um, Or at least that's one big part of it. And this acronym and this funny word, it represents everything I mentioned. So not just sleep, hunger, mood, energy and cravings, but all of these things. And so you need those biofeedback sensations optimized. We all know what it's like, although we can't always stay there to feel vital without hunger, without cravings, energy predictable and stable, good night's sleep, healthy mood, no signs and symptoms. Most of us have had that in our lives at some point or Periodically jump into that state. That's when the metabolism is doing well. That's the first part, though. And there's two other parts. The other two parts are are you attaining and maintaining optimal body composition? Right? So is Schmeck in check? That tells you something about what's going on with the metabolism. Are you optimizing body composition? Not too low body fat, not too high body fat. That's another one. And then the final one we can look at is vitals and blood labs. What's going on with my blood sugar? What's going on with my blood pressure? What's going on with my um, lipids? You know, um, all of these kinds of things. So, I like to say when those three things are optimized, Schmeck is in check, you got optimal body composition, and your vitals and blood labs are all optimizing, you can be pretty sure that your metabolism is functioning appropriately. And the first rule here is that's going to be different for you. So, Kylie's metabolism and her function and what works for her to keep her in that state. Is going to be different than mine, which is going to be different than all of yours listening to this. And this is a concept almost no one pays attention to in metabolism because we humans, no judgment here, but we just like one size fits all approaches. We want things to be simple. And this idea that, hey, here's how to know if your metabolism is optimized and it's going to be individual to you is not really something people really like to hear, but it is the truth. And so then there's a whole discussion about, well, how do I go about finding what works for me in metabolism? And that really is the only role um, in my mind to this game. It's find and do what works for you. And it's it's a lifestyle built for you by you in a sense, which means we have to stop being dieters and start becoming metabolic detectives, start really understanding how to listen to the metabolism, and work with it rather than against it,
0: I love that, so every episode, at least this year, ownership has been a huge word um, for me this year, not so much in my own i've i don't say I've mastered ownership, but I understand the importance of ownership, but I think what you're saying as well, it boils down to you owning this, like you have got to figure it out. I mean yes, we'll have coaches and doctors and all of that work with us, but it's on us to listen because what I find jade with clients is. <laughs> this stuff they're not sleeping well they're not recovering and they're like no I think I just need to like you know lower my calories some more mm-hmm. you're not listening to your metabolism
1: yeah so yeah it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting piece here right because um we don't oftentimes think that what we might be doing may be causing issues later and there is what I call the diet trap which is this idea of like, okay, well, we've heard it over and over again. And even me who's been doing this and teaching this for a long time, it's so embedded in us that we can quickly fall back into this idea that eating less and exercising more is the end all be all. And that really is this idea of like, hey, eat the least amount possible and exercise as much as possible. This is the mindset that most people are in. What we have to understand, and this is the first big, huge, uh, you know, sort of misunderstanding with metabolism. The metabolism is not a calculator. It does have some of that aspect to it, right? It can manage energy in sort of a two plus two type of way, right? So it does know how much energy I'm getting in. And it is able to, um, you know, say, well, let's put a little bit of uh, sugar away for storage in the liver. And let's put a little bit of sugar and fat away and store in our fat cells. And let's use the amino acids we're eating, to burn muscle or store muscle. It does have a little bit of that, but that is not really what the metabolism's main job is. The metabolism's main job is to manage stress, to find homeostasis or balance, to keep you in a place of balance so that you can basically reproduce. That's what we're evolved for, right? Now, when you start looking at it like that, you start realizing that if you take eating less and exercising more to the extreme, which many people will do, that is a stress to the body. In the same way that eating more and exercising less is a stress to the body. So the first thing when when we talk about metabolism, we have to say, what is its point? Well, all it is is a sensing and responding apparatus. It looks out in the outside world and says, what is the stress out there? Temperature, what's going on with that? Light, what season are we in? How much food is available? Um, what is going on emotionally? Um, am I in risk of starvation? Right. And then it's basically also taking cues from inside the body saying, what do my cells need energetically? What are they telling me? And all of this is sort of integrated in an area of the brain called the hypothalamus, which basically goes, here's the stress from the outside world. Here's the needs from the inside world. Now I need to plot a course. And if you go to two extremes, eat less exercise more to the extreme or eat more exercise less to the stream extreme that registers as a stress to the hypothalamus and you end up getting the same things and here's how you can tell you don't need to take my word for it i could tell you interesting sleep hunger mood energy and cravings if you eat more and exercise less to the extreme schmeck goes out of check if you eat less and exercise more to the extreme schmeck goes out of check so i don't need you to necessarily uh you may be eating less and exercising more. I won't tell you it's stressful until your schmeck goes out of check. This is how this works for the metabolism. So now that you understand the metabolism is basically a stress responding apparatus, it's basically just one big stress barometer is what it is. It works more like a thermostat than it does a calculator. You realize it's always adapting and reacting. And so if you are struggling with your current eat less, exercise more regime, and you're not realizing that by doing that, you're stressing out the body. The major stress the metabolism has had throughout its evolution is starvation and that that's triggering a starvation response. And it's the very thing leading you to regain all the weight and jump back into the eat more, exercise less thing. So the solution is what I would call the Goldilocks zone. We need enough exercise, but not too much. We need enough food, but not too much. And this is the game we have to play. It can't be too little or too much. More is not better. Better is better. Less is not better. Better is better. Harder is not better. Smarter is better when it comes to the metabolism.
0: So, I mean, I love when you break it down because it seems so simple. Like, honestly, you've taken this concept. Like, everyone's like, I don't know what to do. Like, oh, here it is. (laughs) So you, you've mentioned two of the toggles so far. Yeah. Eat less, exercise more, eat more, exercise less. Mm -hmm. What are the other two toggles? You've got four toggles for us.
1: Yeah. Um, Yes. So let's cover that a little bit. And, And I'll say one more thing here so you can understand why these toggles are important. If the metabolism is a stress barometer, then one of the major stresses it's measuring is the gap between energy intake and output. Okay. So energy in versus energy out as that gap gets bigger. And if you're watching this on film, I'm just moving my hand. So if I have a a calorie deficit or a calorie excess, that's just narrow like this, that's fine. Maybe Schmeck stays in check just fine. But if I widen it like this, energy intake and output, that becomes a problem. Now, whether it's too much food and too little exercise or too much exercise and too little food, both of those create a huge calorie gap. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with this inherently, except that we tend to do it for too long. These states are not something the metabolism can't deal with. Certainly, the metabolism can deal with this. It has to. A flexible metabolism deals with this all the time. It's when you try to stay stuck in one of those that the stress barometer starts building up pressure. So what else can we do? Well, we can narrow that calorie gap a little bit. We can go from here to here. We can still create a calorie deficit or a calorie surplus, depending on our goals, calorie surplus for gaining muscle, calorie deficit for losing fat. We can still do that, but we can do it in a more gentle, narrow range. And we can do that by using what I would call eat less, exercise less, which means you're cutting down food. And you're also not over exercising now you can still do some exercise, maybe three sessions a week. And of course, walking is something that we do for survival, all humans need it. So we're not talking walking here. We're just talking exercise, you decrease your exercise, and you decrease your food. I call this eat less exercise less. If you want to know what this looks like, um, study any hunter gatherers and you'll see that they tend to eat less and exercise less, not by choice, just because they got a lot of fibrous food. They got a lot of protein. They don't, they have to hunt and gather. They're not overeating like crazy. They're also not doing CrossFit workouts and, you know, um, Orange Theory and Peloton and stuff like that. They're walking for long distance. And then every once in a while, they do some intense stuff to avoid food or, you know, procure food. Also, if you want more of a modern day take on this, think about the, you know, the Parisians. You know, um, I oftentimes, when I I love Paris, when I go to Paris, you'll oftentimes see these elderly men and women walking up and down their four flights of steps because most of these buildings in Paris are only four flights. And a lot of them don't take the elevators and a lot of those buildings don't even have elevators. They're walking to the local grocer. They're walking constantly and they're eating relatively light. They have pastries, but they have One, right? They have you know baguettes, but they have one. They're tasters rather than eaters, really. And so these are the ELEL type of approaches. Now you can still create a calorie deficit, and the calorie deficit is coming from food with eat less, exercise less, and you're not exercising so much that you cause hunger. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that their over-exercising habit is really causing their over cheesecake habit right it's causing them to overeat we know this that about 75% of people when you look at research respond to over exercising with overeating only about 25% don't now it's individual but a lot of people are going to overcompensate with exercise you don't do overdue exercise now the opposite of that ELEL approach is what I call the EMEM approach which is the athletic toggle, right? It's basically that if you're going to exercise a ton then you need to eat more, because remember what the metabolism is doing. It's saying, what's going on in the outside world? Oh, I'm exercising a lot. What is the internal need of my cells? Now, if if you're exercising a ton and the cells aren't getting that food, they're sending alarm bells, right? That gap gets too big. So you shut the gap down. No exercise um, person or athlete, is going to, and well, well, let's use athletes. No, No athlete in her right mind or his right mind is going to try to perform in their sport by eating less. They simply don't do that. What's interesting about that is most of us want to look like athletes, and we're using an approach that an athlete would never use. We're using eat less, exercise more, and no athletes do that. Athletes do eat more, exercise more. So now we have these four to four toggles, right? So these toggles are eat less, exercise more, which is what I would call the diet or toggle. Mm-hmm. Nothing really wrong with that. It's just that that's what people do. And it's the only thing they do. And the stress can build up there relatively quick. We have the eat more, exercise less toggle. Again, not the end of the world. But if you do it for more than a couple of days, you end up storing fat. Now, then now we have the eat less, exercise less toggle, which would be the Parisian or hunter gatherer toggle and the eat more, exercise more toggle, which would be the athletic toggle. And now we have these four sort of states. And by the way, there is a fifth one that I don't oftentimes talk about, which would be what I would call eat some, exercise some. It's an isocaloric place. So if you look at these four toggles on a graph, eat some, exercise some, it's sort of right in the middle where you're not really uh, creating a calorie deficit at all. You're basically isocaloric. It's like home base. It's maintenance phase. Maintenance phase. So from this perspective, now we have some tools. When Schmeck goes out of check, which it always will, Mm -hmm. and or you hit a weight loss plateau, which you always will, you now have a different tool set where, oh, if I was doing eat less, exercise more, and my Schmeck goes out of check and I hit a weight loss plateau, I can move into eat more, exercise more, or eat less, exercise less for a time, and then go back to eat less, exercise more if I want. And by utilizing these four toggles, we work with the metabolism rather than against it. By understanding when Schmeck is out of check, when we're under too much stress, we can pull back a little bit and manipulate intake and output going from extreme calorie gaps to narrow calorie gaps and take some of the stress off the system and um, reduce um, the weight uh, gain rebound that often happens. Now, the truth is, in the research, you know, people who read the research, I'm in the research all the time, we would need an actual study to. Um, tell us if this is the smartest way to do it. Clinically, I know it works for the vast majority, but not everyone. And we already do have some studies on this. Uh, There's a technique that they're studying now in uh, diet and exercise called intermittent energy restriction. This isn't intermittent fasting, by the way, so don't confuse it with that. It's intermittent energy restriction, which is essentially saying um, we're going to reduce your calories for a period of time, so maybe we're going to put you in an eat less, exercise more state, and then we're going to put you back into an ESES state, isocaloric state for a period of time. And then we're going to go back to eat less, exercise more. So they are studying that particular approach. And hopefully, uh, as you know, people start understanding this calorie gap a little bit more, this will cause them to be like, oh, let's maybe test how intermittent energy restriction works going from ELEM to ELEL or from ELEM to EMEM but we do know that this intermittent energy restriction works okay. so far in the research there was one study that got us all excited called the matador study that showed that it worked way way better than continuous calorie restriction that study has not been duplicated and in fact um Five or six studies after that have said it works as well as continuous calorie restriction, not better than. But from my perspective, what this essentially speaks to is the fact that there are many ways to skin this cat. It's just simply finding the one that works best for you. But hopefully, that helps people um, with an introduction into this idea of the metabolic toggles. And really, these terms are semantic to some degree. All we're essentially saying is EL, EM, and EM, EL create this huge calorie gap. And EL, EL, and EM, EM narrow the calorie gap. E L E L, the gaps coming from food. EMEM, you're creating the calorie deficit from exercise. And that's all this really is. So don't get too caught up on the numbers. It's really just a, a way to explain how the metabolism is gauging um, the intake and output and how you might be able to manipulate that a little bit better without causing yourself to regain the weight, which we know is the biggest issue. Um, I'll I'll say this one more thing, then I'll shut up here, Kylie. But one, one thing that I think everyone listening needs to understand, and I know you do Kylie, but a lot of people miss this. Weight loss, attaining weight loss and maintaining weight loss are really two different things. Attaining weight loss is not easy to do, but it's relatively easy to do. Maintaining weight loss is incredibly difficult to do. And we really need to make a distinction between these two because anyone really who has enough willpower, which willpower is a finite resource, can, with enough motivation over a 12-week period, lose weight most all of those people gain that weight back because maintenance is a big deal. The metabolism sees that weight loss as a stress and says, I don't want that to happen again. So let me put all the fat back on and more. And so part of what I have done is made my job and about really helping people maintain the weight loss. And this to me is um, the best I've come up with so far. And it's imperfect because this is a very difficult field to be in. It is difficult to do, but it's just... Uh, important for people to understand, whatever you do to lose the weight, you better be able to do that for the rest of your life. Um, It it is something that is absolutely critical and everyone misses. And so you can't just decide, I want to lose some weight. You have to go, who is the human that I need to be for the rest of my life to keep the weight off? And that is a very different conversation.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel so close to you right now so <laughs> Friday I did like a weekend I did IG live on like approaching your weekends and I started giving tips and tricks and I was like but honestly if you just know who you want to be in the future you don't have to make any decisions like you just know who you are and I do think yeah we have ELEM and ELEL but who do you want to be
1: yep <laughs> that's a exactly. deeper
0: conversation yeah
1: yeah. And, and honestly, it is this idea. This is where you get into self-development. But to me, that's how come, uh, you know, oftentimes people go, well, why are you getting into self-development? Because ultimately, in the end, if you work in this field long enough, you start realizing that the stories we tell ourselves and the stories your clients are living out, mm-hmm. you know, day to day are really impacting whether they can do this or not long term. And so it always turns, always, always, always turns to a discussion of self-development and the stories we're living. And by the way, what I mean by that is that all of us live stories, unconscious stories about who we are and what we do. And what we unfortunately do is we go, well, I want to lose weight, but I want to keep living the same story I've been living. And unfortunately, losing weight and becoming a different physical human being requires you become a different mental, emotional human being. And people don't realize it. So it means giving up old stories. It means giving up old favorite foods. It means giving up uh, old patterns of behavior. It means giving up, you know, the idea that you love sitting on the couch first thing in the morning and sipping coffee and having a bowl of cereal, perhaps. And maybe it means this new human I have to be wakes up in the morning, goes out for a walk with their coffee in hand and does something different. In other words, you have to do everything different than the human you were before and you can never go back to that human that you were before and that simply is a discussion that no one in this health and fitness industry tends to have and even if they did have it most people it's a non-starter right off the bat you have got to be committed to being a different human being mentally and emotionally before you'll be a different human being physically and that means doing everything different and giving up all the old things that you loved and seeing yourself a particular way. So, you know, I'm getting ready to turn 50 and I was just having this conversation with my parents who are in their 70s. And it's funny, that it's a morbid conversation in my family. We talk about death openly. They were talking about this idea that they were talking about, we're gonna be dead in, in, you know, 10 years or so, or, or maybe 20 years. And my whole thing is, well, you guys are 70, so you could live 30 or longer. But the question to ask yourself is, who is the human that I need to be who could live to 100. What does that human actually do and be in their day-to-day behaviors and thought processes versus the human who's gonna die in five years? It's a morbid conversation, but this really is the conversation we need to be having. So yes, all this stuff about metabolism and schmeck and check and all that matters because it keeps you, you know, sort of knowing if you're in the right direction or not. But in the end, the first real discussion you have to have in yourself is how willing am I to change everything forever?
0: Um, I, that's the first question we ask in my program. Are you ready? Are you willing? And are you able? And you score yourself because it does boil down to, it's so much more than calories in, calories out and all of that. This is why I'm so drawn to you. <laughs> I love when you talk same. about- Same, we speak stuff. the
1: same. We definitely speak the same language you would Yeah.
0: Mean. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about, oh, the matador study. So mm-hmm. anecdotally, that's where that works well for me. And I find it works well with clients too, just because it gives them a break from being in that deficit. So, you know, yeah. if all things equated, they work equally, like the same amount of time with without the break. Yep. Um, it gives you a break though, mentally to not be in such low macros. And mm-hmm. it's just, I like it for a lot from a lifestyle factor.
1: Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, um, there's a lot in our industry made about evolutionary sort of uh paleo man and hunter gatherers it's a good analogy sometimes and a bad analogy other times because they live to 20 years old 30 years old oh, yeah. and we're going through the vaccine right now their health their health expectancy wasn't great because the number one killer of all humans throughout time despite how healthy these people are is guess what infectious diseases that's what killed humans so but once you get past this sort of um, you know, sort of paleo sort of mindset and understand that once they got past infectious disease, they lived long, very long sort of healthy lives, you start understanding what are the things that we can do that look uh, very similar to, uh, you know, sort of these populations. So we have to be careful to make broad sweeping, um, you know, things about paleo man and hunter gatherers and things like that. But they also can tell us a few really, uh, you know, sort of important uh, points. And now I'm forgetting what point I was going to make there. But anyway, it's a it's a it's an important concept to kind of understand when we're having these discussions um, about um, metabolism and things like that to kind of not get too caught up in um, these large mechanisms where it's like, oh, I'm going to eat like paleo, man, or I'm going to eat like this. You got to really find what is going to work for you mm-hmm. and um, the stories that are going to work for you as well.
0: Awesome. So the, the, one of the last things I want to ask you about is it's so interesting. It ties right in with that fifth toggle of eat some exercise, some what's your take on intuitive eating once you get to that point, or do you like, what's your take on intuitive eating? I call it eating like a normal person would eat, but nobody knows how to do that. So we have to put names on it.
1: Yeah. Um, I I don't think people, but people may not like this answer from me. I know a lot of people in the health and fitness world don't love this answer. Um, but hopefully hear me out before you react, right? Because we'll, you know, I think a lot of people are going to react. I don't believe intuitive eating is a thing, unless it, it is learned. In other words, you cannot be, uh, ba- we know a lot awful, awful lot about what intuition is, by the way, it has been studied, and we know what it is. So let's cover what it is really quickly. Intuition Is sort of the merging of all your other senses along with your experience in that domain, eliciting a knowing that you're not clear on how you know it, right? So, what happens is the the example I like to use is Sully. We all remember Sully, who landed his plane on the Hudson River. So, if you think about a pilot, they've taken off and landed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. They have a good sense. And they go through all these checks and all of these things. So they have a good sense and a good intuition because they have lots of reps, lots of experience in cockpit. And so when something goes wrong, they may not know um, that this thing's not gonna make it to the airport, I'm gonna have to you know, land this on the Hudson. They might not know how they know that, but their intuition is integrating all these senses, the feel of the way the, the plane you know, sticks, the, the altitude and the way it's changing, the way the plane feels perhaps. And then all of a sudden, you make a judgment intuition about, oh, I'm going to have to land the plane here. Well, it's the same with food. If you've never weighed, measured, tracked, if you don't know that a chicken breast, for example, has, uh, and this is a funny, funny thing, a friend of mine who was a, a, an MD asked me how many carbohydrates were in a chicken breast, right? And I was just like, thought that he was joking with me. Well, there are no carbohydrates in the chicken breast other than trace amounts from glycogen in the muscle. But if you don't know that, if you don't know that chicken is protein primarily and that a boneless, skinless chicken breast is basically all protein, no fat or carbs, or you don't know that a cup of rice is going to have maybe 30 grams to 40 grams of carbohydrate, or if you can't look at you know um, a cheeseburger with bacon on it and know that that's somewhere between 800 and 1,000 calories, just that burger by itself you can't really be um, intuitive in a sense. And so you need some degree of weighing, tracking, and measuring, or at least paying attention to portion sizes in my mind. So intuitive eating is kind of earned. Now, there is one aspect of intuition that I do think works with intuitive eating. And that is this idea of when am I full? You know, am I overeating? Am I distracted? Those are two different types of intuitive eating, right? So maybe it's Intuition about my internal senses and intuition about outside resources, right? So, again, the metabolism, it looks outside and then it gauges what's going on inside. So, intuitive eating is really the merging of what's out there versus what's happening inside of me. And so, to me, true intuitive eating is going to integrate both of these things. So, not only are you going to be like, I'm full, I don't need to eat anymore, but you're also going to know that that plate of chicken breast, rice, and broccoli is about 500 calories, um, about 40 grams of protein, about 40 grams of carb, about, you know, five to six grams of fiber and a trace amount of fat. And if I add a tablespoon of butter on there, I just added 100 calories and about nine to 10 grams of fat. This is stuff that we need to know. And then also when we eat that, we can go, that fills me up or that doesn't fill me up. And that keeps me full for a long time or it doesn't. So that's sort of my take on intuitive eating. It's kind of this easy as earned type approach. Um, I do think there are people who can go right from just being, you know, not paying attention to being intuitive because some people just they understand intuitively how their body feels and they can come at it just from an internal place. Mm -hmm. But I do think for most people, they need intuition on both sides. And that takes some degree of weighing and measuring. And of course, this is why coaches become such a powerful thing. It's partly why people hire you. It's partly why, you know, I do the work I do is because as coaches, we can give you before you develop full intuition and you you're completely off on your own. We bridge the gap to teaching you a little bit about here's what you're feeling. Here's what this food actually does. Here's the the macros. All of that's important. It's kind of like going to elementary school, high school, you know, college, and a master's degree. Ultimately, you're slowly walking that path. And once you get into college or master's degree, you really have a degree of intuition. But if you don't know the basics about food, it can be difficult.
0: Absolutely. I mean, just one example would be, if I had never tracked my macros, I guarantee you, I wouldn't be eating enough protein. Like now I can easily, I know how to set up my meals, whether I'm out of town on vacation or at home, I know how to get 140 grams protein without weighing or measuring or anything. But to your point, I would never have learned that had I not gone through, gone to elementary school and high school first with mm-hmm. my tracking.
1: Yeah, and you'll see this a lot, right? It's, it's very simple things with people who, who make uh, decisions about nutrition. And then as a result of that, for example, if you're a vegan or vegetarian, one of the things you need to know to be intuitive is that if you can't get protein, which is for most people, uh, there is some individual variation in here. If you can't get a lot of protein, then you're gonna need to go with a lot of fiber. And you need to know, which foods have the most fiber, uh, absolutely speaking, that's going to be whole grains, but they also come with a lot of carbohydrate and which foods, uh, have lots of good quality fiber, maybe less than the whole grains, but not a lot of carbohydrate, right? That's something you need to understand. So fruits and vegetables have less fiber than maybe whole grains, but they also have less carbohydrate and more water. And so this is just one example of a distinction that you would need to understand if you're gonna choose vegan and vegetarianism uh, as your major thing there. And this is something that I think people overlook all the time.
0: I agree. Oh my gosh, Jade, well, I wanna be mindful of your time. I could probably talk to you for two more (laughs) hours. So I'm going to cut myself off. I'm gonna end by saying like, thank you for all that you do for everyone that's in our industry. Um, I'm just, like I said, I'm so grateful for everything I've learned from you. I did recently just sign up for one of your courses, the metabolic female, but I like, I have learned so much from you just off of your social media, just Mm. reading all of your stuff. So we need you. Please don't stop.
1: (laughs) Well, same, same here. I love your work and you're just doing amazing work. So thank you for what you do as well. And thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. I hope that, um, I can talk to you soon.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: Bye, Jake. Thank you again for tuning in to today's episode of Here's the Deal. If you enjoyed this show, please share it out to your friends so we can empower as many people as possible to take control of their lives so they feel their best and they look their best. You can always connect with me on Instagram. My handle is KylieFitYoga. And if you want to learn more about the eight-week program that I have, Lift to Get Lean, check out Lift to Get Lean with Kylie.com. And That is the program where me and my team of coaches help people learn how to track their macros, understand the importance of macronutrient tracking. We give you strength training workouts, and the biggest piece of the program is the mindset coaching of it. As you know, nothing changes if you don't change your thoughts. So I look forward to connecting with you in any and all ways. Again, we appreciate your support.